You've turned on Sexy Marriage Radio, where the best sex happens in the marriage bed. Here's your host, Dr. Corey Allen. Welcome to Sexy Marriage Radio, where we have some answers for you today. And let's start with this. According to a study that was just published in the Journal of Sex Research, men apparently have better sex with women who are emotionally unstable. (laughs) Okay. So according to this study, the median age of the people involved in this study were 51, and they've been together with their partner for over 25, average of 24 years. All right. And it found that men whose partners had less emotional stability reported better sexual function. And on the reverse, lower agreeableness of a sexual partner was more predictive of better sexual function in women. So, okay, clarify that. So that means the wording. That means that for the men, if their wife or their partner was less emotionally stable, they reported better sex. Whereas the wife or the woman would report better sex when their partner was less agreeable, meaning less they agreeable. weren't the nice guy. Nice. They were I able to stand up and be solid. So I'm guessing to all the people that uh, call into our show that are wondering, the husband's out there wondering, what is it that makes my sex life with my wife not that good? Maybe she's just too healthy and stable. <laughs> <laughs> There's this counterbalance here. <laughs> Well, there is that phrase from the song, they want a lady in the streets and a freak in the bed. Oh, yeah. Are the mentally unstable ladies the ones that are ladies on the street? It's not mentally, it's emotionally, Emotionally, which just means they're they're more emotional. Emotionally unstable. And that's what the study is showing creates better sex, which would make sense. Okay. Because sex involves emotion. Those are funny studies. They are good studies. And this okay. is Sexy Marriage Radio, where we want to be <laughs> up with what all is going on out there in the Sexy Marriage Nation. And the way you can let us know and you can ask your questions for the shows and let us know of research that you come across, 214-702-9565 is the voicemail line where we want to have you call and ask your questions. Uh, ask anything you want to ask. We will try to answer it. If you want to record your uh call on your phone and email it to us, you're welcome to do that too. Feedback at sexymergeradio.com. We also ask that you jump on iTunes and subscribe, uh, rate and review the show. Subscribe if you listen to uh, Spotify or iHeartRadio or Stitcher or however you choose, Google Play. Uh, we want you to subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Yeah, we sure appreciate that. So here's let's just start right off with some emails because one of the things that came in from our last show was... Um, the idea of the way the way this emailer is posing it is he's calling it a unilateral marriage, which I I think I like the framework and the phraseology of okay. this. So he says, while listening to Monday's podcast, which was number three seventy eight, he could identify with many of the callers, but especially the husband who had essentially chosen to scale back his efforts to improve his marriage because his wife was clearly disinterested. As you often say, the pain and frustration was evident in the caller's voice. Counseling these frustrated spouses to live their best lives with integrity is good, but I know they're wanting more and better advice from you. I know because I feel it, too, and listening as they bear their wounded hearts sometimes hurts me so much that I just have to stop listening for a while. We must hear from hundreds, maybe thousands of spouses who have a higher desire for sex and intimacy, yet get no response from their mates. 
I don't understand why this seems to be such a pervasive problem, nor do I understand why more isn't expected of the lower desire spouses. Though cheating is correctly labeled as infidelity, is it any better to marry someone, expect them to be faithful, and yet refuse to give them the intimacy they look for and desire? Why does society not also see this as infidelity? Though I've heard you talk about it in these, though I've never heard it talked about in these ther- these terms, I've decided that many people are living in a unilateral marriage, where one spouse, usually the higher desire, can try to create pressure in the relationship, but's consistently ineffectual. In my marriage, for example, any initiation on my part will result in delay or rejection every single time, and my efforts to apply what I've learned through your podcast have not changed this one bit. It's like trying to move a fixed object. There's no compromise or negotiation between the two spouses. One spouse gives only what he or she wants, and the other can simply take that or get nothing at all. This, I believe, is much more than the lower desire spouse simply being a gatekeeper, as we'll sometimes say. A gate can swing both ways, and there can be some discussion about when and how often it's opened, but in a unilateral marriage, the gate feels more like a stone wall. I'm not even sure what I'm asking you, but it seems like there's a lot of people suffering in severely imbalanced relationships, and I'm thinking this seemingly intractable problem calls for more radical solutions. But what can the solution be? Mm. So this is opening up some deep. It is. And some, and some st- troublesome issues. Because here's, and I want to attack it a couple different ways. And Pam, I'm going to use you as the sounding board yep. for this. Okay. Because as we were prepping for tonight's, for today's show, um, my, my wife, Pam, who's my co-host with me on this episode, says, ah, this is yours. <laughs> this is, um, so yeah. I, I'm going to use you as, as the feedback to help. You're the PhD. Help be their voice. Um, so one thing is I want to begin with this idea of how oftentimes I come across the, int, uh, the high desire partner. And I'm going to use this in the context of the, the caller from last week and then this voicemail or this email is the husband. So for the sake of our conversation, it's, I'm going to just talk about the husband as the higher desire partner. Sure. So what I often hear is husbands resort to trying to intellectualize a path forward with this issue in this gridlock component. The idea being, if we can get my wife to, th- to talk about this more, it will open up possibilities. I don't think there's anything wrong with that train of thought. I don't think there's anything wrong with that train of thought, but I think it does, it's not effective. Okay, why not? Because a lot of times what I've come across, and this has been in even our experience, when we've had intellectual conversations about our sex life or about some sort of gridlock issue, one of the responses you'll often hear is, I'm not enough. It's never enough. What's the problem? You know, because we intellectualize that and we start to realize we're butting up against something that I feel is a limit of myself. It's an insufficiency of myself as a lower desire partner. That that's spot on. So you start to feel helpless a of times, and yes. hopeless, which then spins right back to the higher desire who's initiating the conversation as we're stuck. It's the stone wall, right? So here's where, and at, at surface level, at the beginning, the idea of living your best life, this is where it starts to gain traction because one of the things we've got to start doing is recognized as husbands, I, I believe for a vast majority of marriages out there, 
Husbands need to stop talking about sex and just making actions towards it. Yeah. I Okay. And that looks like what? Well, that looks like living a full and vibrant life, not just constantly groping and fondling and trying to cre- create opportunities for sex. And I would totally agree with you there in that taking action is about being not being number one, the good guy, not being the guy that seems to really only think about sex. When I realize that that is so often on your mind, we wouldn't know that there's more to life and that you're leading a leading um, on a journey that we want to be part of, right? right? Which which is a broader spectrum than just sex. Absolutely. So it's it's being engaged and uh, alive and vibrant about other aspects of your life as well as your sex life. And I realize because of the confines of a of a marriage and the way we believe in monogamy, that that means one hundred percent of your sexual energy stays in your marriage. So you steer it towards this roadblock, if you will, in the context of what's being described as a unilateral marriage. So it can feel like you're banging your head against a a stone wall. But the difference being, I think a lot of times a husband has to stop asking his wife, how should I pursue you? Because she can't answer that. No, I would agree with that. Because most of the time, she doesn't know. She just knows what she doesn't want or the fact that she doesn't feel anything. And so that where you've got to then pull back and start to look at this as, your wife is a woman. Well, how are women pursued? And start being a student of her particular na- nature as a woman. And start treating her as that a little. So it's different. It's not as my wife. It's as a woman. Because there's things that translate. If you go out and look in all of the different uh, societal culture stuff that's written on dating and play in the game and scoring with chicks and all that kind of mess that's out there and in the anything goes world, there's some things that all that stuff is built on, some biology that is just usually works. It just means you don't have the morals that you bring to a marriage. So we don't apply it as it's written for the game mentality. You take concepts of it, though, realizing your wife is a woman. And you be confident about it. You look her in the eye. You, you date her. You pursue her. And you handle her well when she pushes back and says no. From the low desire, it, from this email, and his comment is, um, I'm trying to look for the wording here. Shouldn't there be some sort of in essence compromise or negotiation no 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 no, no, okay sorry so we're talking about shouldn't there be some sort of accountability is not the word oh there's more there's more on the lower desire partner more more shouldn't there be more expected of the lower desire and i would i i yes there should be there is something that should be expected from them you can't make them do that, though, which no, you, is a thing. You can only control your own scene. But what's interesting is the lower desire partner can make the higher desire partner do it. It's easier for the lower desire partner to dictate terms because for the higher desire to go and meet their needs sexually, that's a huge betrayal of their own commitments, typically, and their own integrity. 
Well, and he's kind of pointing out here, this is a betrayal of the low desires, mm -hmm. commitment and integrity to what they walked into with this marriage. So in essence, you're basically framing in. it through the lens of which one's betraying. I betray by going out and getting my needs elsewhere, or you betray by not, not living up to an understanding that we had going into this thing. Certainly. Because marriage is the place that sex is designed for. That I, I fully believe that. Mm -hmm. That's what separates that relationship from all others. And the price of admission into a marriage is sex. That's part of, that's part of what happens in it. And so if, if you as the lower desire partner decide, you know what, I'm done. I don't think I ever want to have it again. Well, then that means you're willing to risk the marriage and you are the bad guy too, if not the bad guy. Yeah, you're changing the game. Right. So it's recognizing when we're up against these gridlock dilemmas, it truly comes down to how do you face these better, which is the idea of what are the choices I'm willing to make and the hits for the consequences from the choices that I make? Because I'm not saying go out and cheat. That's not at all a counsel. But I am saying if you have signed up for a marriage, your spouse has changed the dynamic and said, you know what? I'm not interested in sex in this marriage. So, and we've even had emails that have come through saying, I'm not interested in sex and I'm not, I'm not, I'm saying it's not okay that you even go masturbate either, which now you're trying to control situations that are way beyond your control. And it's, it's being able to look at it at your partner in the eye and say, okay, look, we've got an issue. The whole dynamic has changed between us. I don't know how long I'm willing to stay around for this, but there's pressure on both of us and we see what happens. Yeah. Because you can't throw a big fit. You can't be manipulative and put down ultimatums. Because anytime you do that, you're really just keeping yourself to an ultimatum. But we have to start to recognize these things. That the way I go through them is I lead, I live, I love, and I recognize that I, I just start acting. I stop talking about it. This is one of the things that came to my mind in one of the mastermind groups that we were talking about. Where I asked every one of the guys in the group... This, the premise that kind of clicked during the call was it seems like we intellectualize this way too much as men rather than just act on it. Because I think of our history that if, if we've had a conversation about it, there's a chance that it doesn't go well because it, it, it's met by negativity or insecurity and that squashes it because we start to get reactive. We don't want to rest in that area of our life mm -hmm. and, and explore those feelings. But if I was to just make a move two nights in a row and the second night you were like, I'm not interested, you don't, I don't hear, it's never enough for you. What's the problem? You know, it's because then it's just a, no, not interested. Because to me, what this comes down to is the higher desire needs to be better at making moves, being in, creating initiations and instigations. The lower desire needs to be better at, saying no, realizing they're always saying no, whether they're trying, because all of the stuff he's talking about of no negotiation, no compromise, that's all just saying no without being able to ha have it to say no. Yeah. So it's seeing it as you're both playing this dynamic, play your part better, play your hand better, and then play the man better. In this case, it would be the wife. Play the woman better. 
Play the woman. But treat her as a woman. Date her. Pursue her. Be confident. Be cocky. Be arrogant with her. Whatever it is that might kind of bring her out of her shell, do it. Try it. Well, I think some of this, too, is not so much being focused on her and uh, what brings her out of her shell, because that's you trying to control what brings her out of her shell. When you talk about uh, being a man and, and taking action, to me, that's also about living the life you want to live. Right. That's not about her. That's not about sexual. If you love an instrument, dive into that. And, right. and you haven't played it in a while and you've been wanting to do that, dive into that. If you've been wanting to learn another language or some other thing right. like that, dive into that and, and see how that changes other aspects of your life too because that that's part of what creates a little more adventure, a little more creativity, and, and what can drive some attraction in there too. Possibly, but it still won't help you avoid an inevitability of having to face how much am I willing to take and what choices do I make accordingly? Right. Because if I'm still going to continue to bang my head against a stone wall, as he's talking about in a unilateral marriage, then what I, all that might be left is leaving. So is my thought just maybe an avoidance? Because it's no. <laughs> I'm, I'm giving you. I'm giving no, you tips on here's some other. Life I don't think to live. so. I don't think it's an avoidance. I think it's a way to get better data to help make a decision. Because if I make this all about, okay, look, I'm just I'm leaving just because we can't have sex and you're not interested. Well, what else was in the relationship? Right. That's there's it? more to it. Then there's more to it that in me, and there's more to it in our relationship than just that. I I sure hope so. I hope sex isn't the only thing right. this relationship's about. But it is a component, and it is an important aspect because we get all kinds of comments and in, in voicemails and emails from people on this subject that are saying, "How do I help my partner?" And to me, I think it's that you start with you stop focusing so much on your partner. And you stop allowing them to dictate the terms completely. You start dictating some yourself by saying, look, some things are going to change. And here's what I'm going to start doing. Yeah. You can be on board with this or you cannot. And we'll have more conversations as we go. And that's how you start to tip the scale. Okay. Hi, you guys. I'm such a huge fan of the show. Um, I am so glad that you guys touched base on breast and intimacy uh, the past couple episodes um, because that is a huge uh, struggle in my marriage right now. Um, I have a five-month-old newborn, and I am currently nursing, and I intend to nurse hopefully for another um, about six or seven months. Um, I am in this mentality of my breasts are food for my son and that's solely what they're intended for. I'm having a really hard time incorporating them in the bedroom. Um, and my husband is, uh, starting to get a little frustrated. He's been really understanding. I've tried to be really open with him and let him know that just touching my breasts, caressing them, that doesn't turn me on anymore. It's just, I'm having a really hard time switching from mom mentality to wife in the bedroom, sexy mom mentality. Um, So if there's any uh, suggestions that you guys can um, 
uh, su- suggest on how to switch gears or if there's something that I can do. I just, I don't know. I Sometimes I feel like maybe I'm wrong or I'm just lost. This is a, a new chapter for us and we're in a new season. Uh, so I'd really like your insight. Thank you so much. Congratulations, by the way, on the new child. Uh, that is a, it's an interesting uh, journey to be on. I must say, I love the parent journey, but I'm coming back to you at five months. Right. And that is a hard time. You are not alone in the scenario that you're sitting in. I just want to tell you right now, you are not alone in that you're viewing your body differently mm-hmm. right now. It is a vehicle for your son. It <laughs> for, is. For food. It has been for the nine months prior to his arrival and the five months since. Yeah. So the mental and physical um, changes that you have going on right now are normal. Mm-hmm. And it, it's, I get it, it's frustrating. Um, I would I would throw out to you that it hopefully is a piece of hope that it's, it is seasonal. Right. This is not a permanent thing. Right. I, mean, I totally get how you, I mean, it's a great thing. It's, it's just this warm, wonderful, comfortable thing when your child is breastfeeding and, um, all that does to your body and kind of that connection there. But you totally look at your boobs differently. And the flip side of it is now everybody's fighting for time on the breast. Every, literally everybody's yep. fighting for time on the breast. And you are totally looking at your breast different than what you did before. And that, I mean. So here's here's the question I the have. on there. Here's, here's the question I had to start off with. Because she makes the comment of, it just doesn't do it for me anymore. So does that mean it's just not a turn on? So it's just kind of a meh or it it's painful because that it could be that too, where it's like, I was actually, I have an aversion to them being touched because if it's just kind of a, meh, it just doesn't do anything for me. The flip side of this whole equation is what does it do for your husband? And I'm not saying take one for the team, but occasionally sometimes take one for the team. Sure. I mean, there's the question here of, I really don't want my breasts touched. Then well, speak up, speak up. Mm-hmm. He doesn't need to be touching your breasts. If it's, you know what, this, this isn't turning me on. Hopefully something else will turn me on, but you're okay with him touching your breasts because it turns him on. Well then, you know, right. there's that scenario. And if it's a sensitivity thing, uh, sometimes you could go with a thin bra to help desensitize it a little bit. Well, or even sensitivity, a little bit but even then when you're breastfeeding, you, you, it's possible I, you leak during Yeah, and that's such a yep. mental issue yep, that it is. It, ah, I don't want to leak during sex. That's So then that's, that's when you do so, wear something. Such a negative mm-hmm. perspective from so the wife. So she's talking about two different aspects that at least what I'm hearing is one, how do I handle the mental side of this? And you do recognize that all right, I'm in a new phase of life as mom. So how do I compartmentalize? I am a mom, but I also am a hot mom. Yeah, he's coming after your breasts, so he thinks you're hot. Yep, and so he wants it's, it's recognizing the mental shifts that are required. And this typically means how do you find time to steal with your husband that allows you to both be adults, that allows you to be playful, that allows you to frolic around and flirt and 
have some banter back and forth that's of the sexual nature that is between adults. And it doesn't mean you have sex, but it keeps your mind in the game possibly. And it, and it makes it, it makes the contact stay better and it keeps the pursuit part of it. If you get times to steal away for a, a date night, go do that. If you get a weekend, go do that and realize, okay, right, Hey, this time we can ha- I'm interested in sex, but the breasts are still off limits, buddy. And just get, lay the ground ro- rules ahead of time and do what you can to engage. Yeah. I'm curious if there's any, if there's at this point, you know, five months in the, the body's still shifting and changing. Is there anything that does make you feel like you look hot you know is there anything any yeah. way you dress any way um so it's all just kind of your persona do- that you put on and 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 attach to yourself as you carry yourself yeah 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 some other way to to get there because there is this transition of of learning more about yourself as you as you go through this parent role mm-hmm. and as the relationship between the two of you changes a little bit because you're having to make choices now together about this other living thing in your house and it really does change that dynamic between the two of you so um, as you change you got to continue to be fully aware of what is it that's um, what is it that's changing sexually what is it that maybe maybe now annoys me about my husband that didn't before. Yeah. But then it's because of this new responsibility with parenting. It's a whole new dynamic. Which can then change everything in the bedroom too. Yeah. So listen to your body, stick up for it. But I, I guess I just encourage you. It's this, it, it's a season. It's, this is a normal process. It's a season. There's, yeah. there's other things you can do. Maybe it, I mean, if the, part that turns you off is maybe something along the leaking standpoint, maybe spend some more time in the shower together and you're, um, nurse right beforehand, not right before sex too. Right. Right. Nurse right before empty them before, before you get busy. Yep. And since we're on the subject of kids. Hey guys, I'm calling in cause, uh, my wife and I, we've been married about a year now and we're starting to think about kids and things like that. And I'm a little nervous going into the situation. Um, cause you guys have talked so much about, you know, like how kids can come between you and things like that. And I was just kind of wondering if you guys could maybe point out some red flags that we can avoid that things to avoid. Like I know you've mentioned before, maybe not letting kids in the bed and things like that. And also what are some of the best parts about having kids? Things I can look forward to. Thanks. Bye. So should we go best or worst? Good or bad? How should we, how should we go? <laughs> Should we go bad and then let's go good? Well, I think um, he's. What are some of the good things? But some of them were what not to do. So what are the let's red start flags with that. To what are the red flags? For? So let's start with those. And I would say number one is uh, this. Some of you out there are just going to laugh at me, but don't let the kids rule your life and your schedule. Absolutely. Um, you, As an infant, you don't get a lot of choice in this because they require you for their survival. But as they progress and become more self-sufficient, you, they can adjust to you just like you can adjust to them. Right, right. I, um, you know, we have a, Corey and I have a little bit different parenting style than um, maybe some others do. We, If they need to nap in the car, they nap in the car. We don't have to be a home for that. Mm-hmm. Um, if we want to go out and do something fun, we go out and do something fun and the kids are in tow 
and we just plan ahead for just naps. Means you carry more stuff with you. You carry more stuff with you. You plan ahead for things. You carry food. You carry those kinds of things. So just don't let that stifle you. Figure out ways to do things because I think that that's fun for the kids anyway. They're experiencing yeah, it, a little it more. It does set them up for in the future to be more flexible. Oh, yeah. And less, I mean, structure is important for a child, but you can have variability within the structure still. Because uh-huh. I've had the mantra uh, with with Pam and I that I've jokingly will say when I speak that once my kids reach the point of being able to feed themselves, clothe themselves, or dress, you know, get themselves dressed and go to the bathroom on their own, our job shifts to getting them out of our house. <laughs> we love our kids. Absolutely but that's love kind them. Kind of the job, right? But that's the job is to treat is to create self sufficient human beings. Yeah. That they, I, I want to work myself out of a job with them. Yeah. And to become a peer with them. And so part of that is just a mindset as parents of, yes, enjoy things, love them and, and get down on the floor with them and, 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 and do the things that they do because they can add a challenge to ourselves by pointing out our own insufficiencies and weaknesses and variabilities and, and reactivities. But it's also recognizing that there's things you can do at the very beginning, which, you know, he made, he alluded to, don't let them in your bed. And there's, there's a, as, as far as research goes, there's across the board on that. Um, we chose to not have our children in our room because the first, when we put our firstborn in there with us one night, she was so loud. It was like, good gracious, we're ne- neither of us can get any sleep. We're putting her down the hall in her own room. Yeah. She was loud just when she was sleeping. And, and so it's recognizing some of it just comes down to adjusting to what works for you because it is on the job training. Mm. I mean, you don't really get prepared for parenting until you start parenting. But the, the other red flags are just uh, making sure that, it, like what Pam mentioned, that don't go overboard with child-centrist mindset. Easy for you to it say. It is easy for me to say. But create a pattern, but also make them adjust to you, make them come along with you and make sure the marriage is a, is a priority. Yeah. Close the door every so often for just you and your wife. Let the kids fend for themselves for a little bit, get babysitters and go away for a little bit and get them to get them to other people, make them spend the night in other places at times with family members you trust and, and do things for the marriage and let the kids know that's why you're doing these things. One of the things that I loved that we did was just a really good bedtime as they were toddlers and, and growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was earlier than some of their peers, but they had to go to the room. They didn't necessarily have to go to sleep, but yeah, they had they to got, stay in their room, older, yep. either read or they could play with some toys in their bed, but they had to be in bed and they had to be there. And that gave Corey and I time to just decompress, mm-hmm. to talk about the day, to just beat. Yep. us and to be a couple. Um, the other thing I would recommend is whatever you can do to remember that the two of you as parents are a team. Yes. That you're don't ever keep secrets from each other about the, whatever's going on with the kids and let the kids know that you as a couple will not be doing that. Right. Because you don't want anything that teams you up with a kid against your spouse. The two of you want to be together long after these kids move out of the house. <laughs> exactly. And you don't want 
the kids and whatever happens with them to divide the two of you. Right. So the two of you are the team. You are the master team. You are the coaches of this t- of this family team. So keep it that way. And then to end this to end this conversation, the blessing kids are is the amount of joy and the personality and the fun and the laughter and even the heartache and frustration they can bring. That's what brings about a real spicy, savory life. Mm-hmm. If you can look at it through the lens of it just adds more to the story because you have another player in it. And as they become little mini yous and then start to create their own personalities and it just shapes the whole framework, it helps us all learn to be more flexible and adjust and roll with it and, and confident in ourselves. Yeah. Hello, I just listened to the episode about the man who was trying to get his wife more interested in foreplay, but she was um, kind of rushing a lot faster than he wanted. And I think the key is the testosterone shots. And I think she, because he has the shots, is not seeing his um, increased drive as being him. She sees it as just being the shots not really him being artificial. So she's hesitant to really enjoy it because she feels like it's not really him. So she's, you know, just kind of rushing through and, you know, getting him, getting him off because she doesn't actually see it as being him. It's an artificial drive that he has because of the shots. Thanks. And we'll leave it with that. This has been Sexy Marriage Radio. And we want to put out a personal plea to you. That we want to hear your voice. 214-702-9565 is how you can let us know what's on your mind, what questions you've got, or even some feedback to previous conversations we've had. Because you can help frame this conversation as part of the Sexy Marriage Nation. And we all benefit. And we all are better. The other thing you can do for us is subscribe to the show. If you like what's going on, that way you don't miss any future episodes. You can do that via iTunes. Go to sexymarriage.net. It's very easy to subscribe whichever manner you choose to find us. And so however you take some time out of your day to spend it with us, thanks for doing that, Sexy. We'll see you next time. <laughs>